So it is good to be with you this morning. And uh, when I got that message this morning, I, I looked at it because I, like most of you, were thinking, boy, I can't wait. I mean, spiritual warfare. I, I thought when Adam first introduced uh, that subject last week, I thought, well, is this going to be that interesting? After Adam was done, I said, this is going to be that interesting. And so I was getting up on Sunday morning anticipating another message on spiritual warfare, which I'm sure Adam will bring next week. And uh, I missed that. And then when he said he wanted me to pinch hit, then I said, well, I don't have anything prepared really, but there is a passage that, that I would like to meditate on here this morning, and I'd like you to be able to meditate with me on it. It's going to be John 15, but... Actually, when I get placed in a position like that, like even if someone asks me to do a funeral or if they ask me to do something else, my first response is, if Jesus were here, what would he do? What would he speak on? That's what I try to ask. And even in this occasion, as I thought about it, if Jesus had the opportunity just to visit with us, for a little bit, what might he talk on to us as a church body? And he could talk about a limitless number of things that we need to hear, but there is a passage that he did use that I think he would often talk about. So I guess what I want us to do is try to envision Jesus sharing something with us, and we're going to get there in, in John chapter 15. But prior to getting there, there's actually an Old Testament text that you should be aware of because John 15 talks about Jesus being the vine and we are the branches, which is a great picture for us in so many ways. But actually, I think when Jesus taught that to his disciples at the end of his ministry, shortly before he died, he would have been thinking and on a passage in the Old Testament that addresses the very same subject, and we'll get to that. But what I'd like to do, first of all, is just have us look at Isaiah chapter 5. And so if we could pull that up, here's a passage that I think that Jesus would have been thinking about before he taught his disciples. And, and this was written, if you know anything about the Old Testament, Isaiah would have lived about 700 years before Christ ever came. And during that time, Israel had prospered, but they were turning away from God. And in a short time, shortly after Isaiah's life, they are going to be judged by God because they turned away from the very route that God wanted them to follow. And so Isaiah writes about this prophetically, and he writes about Israel as being the vine. So notice what he says here, the Isaiah the prophet. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. Now, as you think about Isaiah writing that, it's actually from God's perspective, God talking about his Messiah, his son, and the vineyard, 
which is in this case the nation of Israel. That's what he's thinking about because Israel was to be a nation that would bring all sorts of fruits to God. Israel was supposed to be the nation that would announce the God of Israel as the true God and this is what God is like and they were to take the message of God to the rest of the world that was placed on Israel. The way they lived should have characterized who God was. And so that was God's hope. And you'll see as you go through this, notice my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. It was well prepared. He goes on to say, he dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with a choice, with choice vines. And I'm not, I don't work in agriculture, but I do know that if you get a vine, a grape vine, and you plant it, it will yield fruit for years and years and years. And he's comparing Israel to that vine. And notice he's planted it with a choice vine. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. That should be the natural outcome. But it yielded wild grapes. And wild grapes at that point were a a smaller grape that had very little taste. It's not what the planter of the vineyard wanted at all. They were useless. And so here God gives Israel all the opportunities to be that vineyard, and yet they brought forth fruit that had no value. That's As you think about that, this is what Jesus is reflecting on before he gets to John 15. Let's go on. It yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield grapes? wild grapes. The fault did not land on the person that planted it. It landed on the vine itself. Then he says, I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured and I will break down its wall. As it goes on, it says, and there shall be trampled down. I will make it waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and the briars and the thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So there he identifies it. But look at that phrase as well. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts Remember when we first read in the first part that says, this is the vineyard of the beloved, of the Messiah. And so if they would have understood, they would have realized that the true Messiah actually was going to be the Lord of hosts. It speaks about the deity of Christ even here in this passage. And it goes on to say, the men of Judah are his pleasant planting and he looked for justice and behold bloodshed, for righteousness but behold an outcry. God wanted a nation to bring forth righteousness, justice, kindness, all of those things that represent God, but it brought forth nothing like that. In fact, the vine, as we looked at this, would be destroyed. And actually, 
Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD when the Roman general Titus came in and he burnt the city to the ground. Why? It bore no fruit was the idea. The fruit that it had was wild grapes. There was no value. And they had every opportunity to do that. That's what Jesus is thinking about as he comes to John 15 and he sits down with his disciples to teach them about the true vine. And so with that, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can. We'll bring the the passage up here. And uh, as I look at it, I think Jesus teaches this passage with great tenderness. And when I looked at it, I didn't prepare this text, but I, when I had a chance to go to school, I had a chance to study Greek and I enjoyed it because there are certain things that you can understand from the Greek language that actually help you understand, even in a clearer sense, what is brought out in the English translations. The English translations are great, believe me. I meditate, I memorize in the English, but sometimes the Greek says things that are even more, in a more powerful way than what can be represented in the English language. So I took out my Greek text. That's where I went after I, I thought of John 15. And uh, this is the way the text starts in the Greek. As Jesus is teaching these disciples, it starts out with two Greek words, ego eimi. And you say, well, what does that mean to me? Well, eimi is the first person pronoun verb that simply says, I am. And if you think about Jesus as he would teach throughout the gospels, he would teach numbers of times, I am. Like John 14, 6, Jesus would teach, ego eimi, I am the way. Then he would teach, I am the truth. I am whatever. I am the gate. I am the water, I am the bread. Jesus oftentimes used this construction to teach something very intimate about himself. Now it's more powerful because it uses the pronoun and the verb. And I think sometimes I've explained in other languages, you don't have to use the pronoun because the pronoun is contained in the verb. The verbs have endings. And if you just use the verb, and I often use a simple illustration in Spanish because it's so easy, hablo. What is, how do you translate the Spanish word hablo? Well, those that know anything about Spanish, it would mean I speak. That's what it means, one word. It means I speak. If you say hablamos, same word, but that's we speak, one word, because it's the first person pronoun. In other words, in other languages, you don't need the pronoun. In English, you do, but in other languages, you don't. But when they do use the pronoun, it's very emphatic, moving, and powerful. So when Jesus says, I am the vine, this is powerful. It is moving in the direction, and that's why I talked about Isaiah. I am the vine. That's what Jesus said. I myself am the vine, he says, very powerfully. And he wants to contrast himself to something that we just thought about, because it says in the Greek, I am 
the vine. And then it says this in the Greek, the true one. It couldn't be more emphatic. I am the vine. I am the true vine. So he's contrasting himself to the nation of Israel that did not bring forth fruit, not anything of value. And he's saying, I am that vine. And he wants his disciples to think through something that they had not thought through. And oftentimes we don't think through. If you just think of simple plant life, you know if you've done any gardening at all, and I'm not a great gardener, but I do as I look at my plants, sometimes a tomato, and I look at this branch, wow, there's nothing coming off of that branch. I'm going to cut that branch off. Because you know that the life comes through the vine to the branches. And this is what Jesus wants to teach them. You can have all sorts of outward things that are true in your life that surround you and you may think you represent real life and real righteousness, but what Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't work that way. The only way that you can have true life is if you're really connected to the vine and the life actually is in the vine. It's not in the branches. And he's trying to tell these people, listen, my disciples, if you're really going to bear any good fruit, you have to learn what it means to be in me and abide in me because the life does not reside in you and it doesn't reside in me. It resides in the true vine and your relationship with that vine becomes the key. So he looks at Israel And he looks at the history of Israel and he sees there isn't the fruit that God desired. So I'm here. I am the true vine. That's where he starts. I am the one with life in it. Now it goes on to say, as you look at John 15, I am the true vine. And then he makes another powerful statement and it says in the Greek, and the father, my is the gardener. In other words, this too is a very emphatic instruction. It's saying the father, my father, which again, Jesus presents himself as God's son, which the Jews did not understand. And he's saying the God of heaven is my father, which the Jews later on realized. If he says that, he's trying to say he's equal with the father. And he was saying that. And there's life, there's life with God, there's life in the Son. He is the true gardener. And he was as well as you look at the Old Testament passage. He's the one that cares for the vine. So now you have a dynamic relationship that's going to work, that's going to produce real life. What God really represents, because what Israel represented wasn't true righteousness. So now notice he goes on to say, I am the true vine and my father is the very vine dresser. He works with the plant. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now that's interesting because as you look at it, there's a lot of people that are under the influence of Jesus as he teaches this, but they were not bearing fruit. And the father cuts them away. 
And you say, well, how, what would that represent? Well, remember, even in the setting that Jesus is teaching there, Judas is one of those disciples. And Judas had an outward appearance as though he belonged to the group, but from everything we know, he never was really a genuine follower of Christ. He was not producing the fruit. And those disciples didn't know it at the time, but Judas was going to be cut off because it wasn't bearing fruit. Now, there's so much we could think about here as we look As I look at a crowd like this, are you a true branch connected to the vine? Or do you, because if if you are, you will bear fruit. And what does that mean? Well, that means as the New Testament talks about it, and Jesus talked about the new birth, that Jesus came to die on a cross for our sins And he paid the entire price. And when you see yourself as lost, as not bearing genuine fruit, you turn to the Lord with all of your heart. And you admit that you're a sinner. And you look to him and say, in essence, I have no life within me. And you repent and you turn to Christ and you put your trust in him. And when that happens, happens, you're brought in to bear fruit. And so Jesus is trying to tell them that true fruit only comes through me. Your relationship with me is what's going to determine what type of fruit that you're going to bear. And I would just say, are you a true vine that's bearing fruit? Because if not, you could be cut off in that sense, in the sense that you weren't true. So evaluate. Do you see the life of the Son of God bearing fruit in you? That's the idea. And if it's not there, then I would humbly come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not a true vine. I want to be a a true branch. I want to be that. I repent. I turn to Jesus. I put my trust. And as you do that, then the true relationship starts to take hold. Now you notice as, as you look at this verse, I am the true vine and my father is the vine, branch, vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So as you look at this, the true branch will bear fruit, but Jesus wants it to bear more fruit. So the vine dresser will work and cut off and work with the true branch so that it will bear more fruit. There's fruit, now he wants more fruit. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well, I think as you, as you take life from Christ, the life comes through Christ to us, the true branches, and we should resemble more and more the very vine that gives us life. And therefore, if you're abiding in that vine, the very person of Christ becomes so real in you that Christ is seen 
in your life. And the more the vine dresser can cut off the things that are not like Christ, the more fruit you will bear. And that's what Jesus is after. And he's trying to help them understand that the true life comes from him and we have to abide in him to bear that fruit. So he's gonna work with us. Now, I suppose if you look at the, at the pruning, you would say that could be a painful process to cut off this and to cut off that. But remember, in Israel, he wanted righteousness and justice. And if some of those things are not true in your life, God is gonna work to make those things true so that you would bear more fruit than what you're bearing right now. So it's a process. As God works with us, it's a process that God is working on us so that we would bear more fruit. And that's what he's pleading with his disciples. He wants them to bear fruit. Now, when you think of the disciples, where they were at when they were walking with Jesus, can you see where they might have needs to be pruned so that they would bring forth more fruit? Yeah, there would be a lot of examples of that. And I think that's where we're at as well. God is desiring that we would bear more fruit. And so the Father works, lovingly works with us, pruning off things that aren't very pleasing to God in your life because he's trying to form you to be just like Christ. Are there things in your life that really don't resemble Christ? It probably would be advantageous for, advantageous for a wife and a husband to say to one, are there things in my life, honey, that really don't look like Jesus? In fact, there are. <laughs> you know, I think all of us would hear that. And we should become aware of that so that we realize that God desires us to be more like Christ. And so he's trying to say that real life comes from me. It flows through me. It doesn't come from yourself, and that's really what he's saying. So notice, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I think that speaks of salvation. You're already clean. You're already joined, notice, through the word of God as we saying that song, Lord, I need you, I reflect on the Kesey family because I remember the Sunday when we were in church and they listened to that song and Ty was weeping and we all got together at the end of the service and Melissa and Ty gave their lives to Christ. That was a time where they were made clean. I pray that there's a time like that in your life as well. Then it says after that, abide, remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. You can bear no fruit unless the life of Christ is coming from him into you. These are the verses I use as I pray for people. As I pray for the church at New City, there's two passages that I use. There's more than that, but the one I spoke on a number of months ago in Ephesians chapter three, remember what it says, he prays to the Father of heaven, and he said, Father, I pray that you might grant them, the Ephesian church, that they might be strengthened with might 
by the Spirit in the inner man. And then it says this, if you remember, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And that's the whole idea here. Christ would become so real in your life that he abides, he's there. You sense his presence. You see the desire of wanting to be more like him and the spirit of God is working on you to produce exactly that. He wants you to bear more fruit. He wants you to be more like he himself. He's trying to pour out his life into you so that we would become little Christ all over the Des Moines area, drawing people to himself, being more like Christ in our actions. That's what's going on. It goes on to say, in, in, uh, unless you abide in me, I am the vine. Now notice, this again is the powerful statement, ego me, I myself, he's just trying to say, just remember, I'm the one that has life. You have no life in you. You can't bear fruit by yourself. The only way you can is if you remain in me, if you abide in me, and I in you. He it is that bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so again, the idea is they bore fruit. He wanted them to bear more fruit. Now he wants them to bear much fruit, all related to their relationship with Christ. And my question to all of us, where are we with that? Is Christ bearing much fruit? Is he working with us so that we might bear much fruit? Now, as it goes on to say, there's a, there's a beautiful promise in there. Now, first of all, another warning. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. The unbeliever doesn't bear fruit. They're removed for judgment because they're not abiding. And abiding in Christ to me is you reading about him in the word of God, talking to him in prayer. That's abiding in him, he and you. You're glued to him. And so then it says a great promise. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And here's the great promise of prayer. If you're driven towards that life, then your requests are actually going to line up with the very will of Christ as well as you know the word of God. And then you begin to pray and prayer becomes so real because this is the life you want. More fruit, much fruit. And you ask so that more fruit might be delivered through your life. That's what Jesus is after. That's what he's asking those people to do. Now it finishes up. Um, I think as, as you look, oh, that's the verse seven. Now it goes on to say, and I was just gonna read in John 15, it says this in verse eight, just as we finish that, it says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. How is God glorified that we bear much fruit? So how should we pray for one another? How should we encourage one another? My prayer for New City is that we would bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And God works in a powerful way making us more like 
Christ. And I, I thought of, there's probably so many examples, but I thought of one example to watch this take place in the life of one of the apostles. Now, if we would go to a verse in Matthew, if you remember Peter, Peter says this, and, and, and the very words are interesting. Peter answered him, Christ, and this is when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me tonight. This was said the night before he died. And Peter answered, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Do you remember those words? When you think of Peter at that moment, what did Peter think about himself in that moment? Does it seem like he thought he might be a little above the other disciples? What do you think? Notice his thinking, because he was the leader, and he thought to himself, these other guys, they're my fellow disciples, and I think the world of them, but they're not quite where I'm at. I can see these other disciples, they'll probably, they'll probably not do it, but I know me, and I can follow through, and I can do this, though all of them deny you. I will never deny you. Is there a hint of sin there, do you think, in the life of Peter? I think there is. And as it happens, God unveils, and you know the story. And Peter does follow into the garden and then he follows where Jesus is being tried and he is there and John is there. The rest of them have scattered just like Peter said they would. And there he is. And I think he was there because he made this statement. Those guys, even if they, I won't, I won't do it. I'll be there. Was he there? Oh yeah, he was there. But then what happened? On three different occasions within that evening and morning, Peter denied Jesus three times. That certainly wasn't the will of God. But have you ever thought for a while, let's just say, that maybe Peter was there and he didn't know, and, and, and he was there and he knew the Lord, but he stood strong, didn't deny him, but they didn't kill him. He was still there. If that had happened, how would Peter have received the other disciples once they came back? What, with what kind of attitude would Peter have received the disciples back? Have you ever thought of that? And you almost say, yeah, Peter would have received them, but yeah, it's about time you guys got back. I never denied the Lord. You guys did, not me. Can you start to see the disruption? And I'm not saying that God wanted Peter to fail so that he would receive them back. I'm not saying that because it wasn't right. It wasn't God's will, but Peter did fall. Did he receive back the other disciples with a different type of attitude because he himself had fallen? Look at 1 Peter chapter Five with me as you notice what Peter says here. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Oh, does Peter now hold himself 
above the other ones or does he see himself more on an equal basis? Looks like now he sees himself much more. This is written 30 years after the garden. I'm just a fellow elder. I'm no more than that, Peter is saying. Does that sound different than what he sounded when he was in the garden? A little bit different. And then he goes on to say, I'm a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in glory that is going to be revealed. And he exhorts the other elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not, and then, not domineering over those in your charge. And notice, notice how humble he is. Don't be an example, he's saying. Don't dominate. Be humble about it. And then he says, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Does he sound like a different Peter? He is. And it's because the pruning work of God was making Peter more and more like the very person of Christ. And I believe Peter was such a great encouragement to the others because his life was being changed by God to be more like Christ. And that's what I think it means to abide in Christ, allow him to change you, make you more like Christ. And that would be my appeal to you this morning. As you consider Jesus teaching this parable of bearing much fruit and abiding in him, is that what's going on in your life? Are you open to the spirit of God who is saying, walk with me, allow my life to enter you so that you are given grace and the ability to be like me and then you'll bear much fruit. So as I pray for churches, as I pray for individuals, the passage in Ephesians I use so that we might be empowered by the Spirit of God. This I use as I pray for us that somehow God would bear much fruit through this church family right here. And as we start this new year, I pray that that might be your desire. How do you abide? First, you have to receive Christ by faith so you enter into that new life. And after you do, then you study his life, listening to his commands, asking him to give you the power to follow those so that his name might be exalted. That's what we're about, exalting the name of Christ. May God help us as we try to follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for John chapter 15. What a powerful meditation as we think through what Jesus did for us and how he looked at Israel. They weren't bringing forth the fruit that, need to be, that needed to be brought forth. But then he spoke about his 
being the true, true vine, and those who would abide in him would bring forth fruit and more fruit and much fruit. I pray for us as believers in Christ that you would allow us to bear much fruit so that your name would be glorified. So guide and direct in this week and in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.